0: This is Matt Wells at UN News. First, families lose their land, then their livestock, and then their children. That's the stark reality of life right now in the Horn of Africa, where millions of people have been hit by successive failed rainy seasons. According to UN Children's Fund UNICEF, hundreds of thousands of Somali children are in desperate need of treatment for life-threatening, severe, acute malnutrition, more than even during the brutal 2011 famine. With more details, here's Rania Dagash, UNICEF Deputy Director for Eastern and Southern Africa, speaking to UN News' Daniel Johnson.
1: So the situation in the Horn of Africa today is about climate change, it's about conflict, it's about displacement, What we're seeing is a fourth consecutive below average rainfall season. It's the longest drought in the history of the Horn of Africa that we have recorded. And it's aggravated by the current water crisis and the ongoing drought in five countries. 20 million people in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Kenya and Somalia are affected, half of which are children.
0: So that is a shocking figure. And one other statistic, without wishing to overload uh, our listeners, you found that even more children, hundreds of thousands of children, are more vulnerable now to severe acute malnutrition than they were in the famine in 2011. Can you just put some bones on that figure, please?
1: So we did a comparison, Daniel. We're seeing a sharp increase in the number of children who are severely malnourished. And what we have today is 386,000 children in Somalia who are in desperate need of treatment for life-threatening severe acute malnutrition. When we compared it to 2011, which was a famine year in Somalia, we saw 340,000 children who required the same treatment at this time. So just comparing the two, and even though we are not at a declaration of famine in Somalia yet, We are edging towards that very quickly if we don't act today.
0: Well, it might as well be famine, to be honest, because it's really on everybody's lips. And I think I'm right in saying that a quarter of a million people, mainly children, died back in 2011 too. So it's obviously really, really critical that we act now. So your appeal to the international community is to act, but act in what way? To to respond to the emergency and help with resilience?
1: We're asking the international community for two things. We're asking them to scale up resources, new resources, to allow us to expand our life-saving responses. We want to increase our water support. We want to increase our food support, our malnutrition treatment in these stabilization centers. We want to put schools back in with school feeding to reach children who are affected and displaced. And we want to be able to extend health services because many of those children come in malnourished and are compounded by measles and cholera. So we would like life-saving activities to happen today. But underpinning this, we would like the international community to also give us money for resilience. We want to be able to dig wells that stabilize communities in future droughts because we know the droughts will keep coming. The climate catastrophe isn't stopping today, even with the best of responses. So our appeal is to allow us to do some of the medium longer term infrastructure support and the system strengthening that can sustain and build the resilience of these communities, while at the same time allowing us to save lives.
0: Can you maybe just illustrate the scale of need? Have you visited displaced communities? Have you seen these families who just need that medical help, that urgent medical help for their children who are wasting away?
1: I was in Somalia last week and I spent quite a lot of time actually on a border town called Dolo, which is between Somalia and Ethiopia. You could see the bridge crossing between the two countries. And what we saw there was large numbers of those displaced from the 2010-2011 famine still in camps because there is nothing to go back to where they came from. They lost their livestock back then, they lost their agriculture, and they don't have the ability to rebuild. We also saw tens of thousands of new displacements happening in the same town and new settlements cropping up all over that need water, that need shelter, that need food, that need health treatment, and they need stabilisation of their babies to treat these children who came anything from 300 to 100 kilometers walking. You know, honestly, I've been doing this for about 22 years and I've worked many droughts in this region and I've never broken down and cried on site or with, in a displacement camp. And I broke down every single visit. I saw children under six months that their mothers were carrying that were definitely not going to make it. They had walked over hundred kilometers with them. They buried other children en route and some buried children on arrival. I saw a grandmother carrying um, a less than six months old baby who was so malnourished and swollen, the, the baby had no life in it almost. And she couldn't trek to the health center to treat the baby. Um, And while we had small um, sources of water, we had water and, and shelter and limited food available in the camp, there was a lot more that was missing to save that baby.
0: Okay, so that is a horrific story, but presumably UNICEF's message is we don't want to be having to respond to these emergencies. We want to put in place the resilience measures that will keep communities in place. But what is the missing link? Why isn't this happening?
1: I think there are many factors that make the response this time more complicated. We do have the Ukraine crisis and we shouldn't shy away from saying that it has diverted both visibility of what would have been quite central to to the global eye today, the situation in the horn, and we have that it has diverted resources. So I think the Ukraine crisis is just one element of what makes this more difficult. The other is that we are just seeing these droughts recurring at very close intervals. When I first started doing this, they would happen every 10 years, then every seven, every five. But now we're seeing them every two, three years. And so there is no time for families to build up their coping mechanisms. They lose livestock. They lose the land that they're working on. And there is no rain for them to rebuild any of that. And they lose their children so what is there to build back
0: okay solutions though you talk about digging wells that are deeper than ever down to two kilometers that's going to help communities stay there that's going to help people continue doing their jobs and their livelihoods so they won't have to make for the urban centers which are not particularly well equipped to deal with an influx of hundreds of thousands of people what's the most important thing that we should take away from this interview rania
1: To me, the most important message is that we have done this before. We have responded and averted crises like this. We've averted famines and we can still do it if we get the resources and the support to respond as a collective humanitarian community. And by that, I mean the UN, I mean the international NGOs, I mean the local NGOs who are 75% of our partners on the ground. We can turn this around. We have government will across the three countries. And we definitely have teams on ground ready to respond. So it's resources that are missing for us at this point and the political will to invest in resilience for the future.
0: Thank you very much. Maybe we could just finally go over the extreme vulnerability that there is because of the rise in food prices, not only because of the Ukraine war, but Somalia, as I understand it, I think you said in an earlier press conference that it imports 92% of its wheat from Russia and Ukraine. So there is a reported deal between uh, Turkey and Russia to restart shipments of Ukraine's agricultural produce from the Black Sea port of Odessa. You know, how welcome would that be?
1: We would welcome all support that goes into the the drought at this point. You know, we start to see excess mortality in this in in the Horn of Africa and in Somalia when a few things combine, we see displacement, we see the intensity of the drought, We see high food prices. We see it's difficult for families to access food. We see outbreak of diseases like diarrhea and measles, which leave children exceptionally vulnerable and they're unable to access our treatment. And so we simply have inadequate resources to enable us on the flip side to do all of this, put in our health centers, put in our stabilization centers, put in our water wells and boreholes that stabilize communities and livestock and humans alike, by the way, what's left of them for that matter.